What if the way we view the body, our own body and that of those around us, could change? What if the root of our attraction to pornography could be redeemed at its core, in our hearts? What if we could rediscover the beauty and truth of our bodies and sexuality in such a way that the pornified vision loses its appeal? Welcome to the Catholic Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Chloe Linger. I'm joined here today by Steve Picorni. He's the author of Redeemed Vision, Setting the Blind Free from a Pornified Culture, and the founder of Freedom Coaching, which you can find at freedom-coaching.net. Steve, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you on today. Thank you, Chloe. It's an honor to be with you. So previously on the Catholic Podcast, we've been talking about how beauty leads us to the Lord, how we can encounter beauty in different ways, whether that's through music or art or architecture. But today we're going to be talking about something that has really destroyed our ability to view beauty when it comes to the human body. We're going to be talking about the epidemic of pornography and how beauty, especially sacred imagery, can redeem that vision. So before we start our conversation, let's define our terms. Steve, can you share what pornography is and how does pornography compare to the Catholic understanding of beauty and a human sexuality? and intimacy? Sure, that is a loaded question. I'd love to dig into that with you. So the way in which I like to define pornography, and I think it's a a most very robust definition, again, I do refer people to the catechism of the Catholic Church and how um, pornography is defined there. But for the terms of our discussion today, I like to say that pornography is anything visual, written, or auditorial that is trying to get us to use another human being as a means of our own selfish sexual gratification, okay? And so if we're looking at that uh, and using that as our baseline definition for pornography, if we look at our wide world that we live in, uh, this is why we can call the world we live in a pornified culture, that in so many different cases, from the movies we see, the television shows we watch, the magazines we check out uh, at our local grocery store, and also many of the things we see online, They've been pornified. They're trying to get us to see the human person not as a person created for their own good, but as as something for us to use for as long or as little as we want, and then we discard them. And what this does is it covers over our great calling to be gifts to other people. And I think this connects into that second part of that question that you brought up here, the Catholic understanding of the beauty of human sexuality sexuality and intimacy. The meaning of our life, I like to say to people, is not about getting laid, but about laying down our lives for other people. And written right into the human body is this calling to be a gift. One other way to say it is we come from gift, the creator of all things who is gift in the divine Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, creates us, they themselves are gift, creates us as gift, to live as gift, and to go back to being in gift and enraptured in that gift for all eternity. And our sexuality, first and foremost, meaning our creation as male and female, in the way in which our bodies are designed and created, is we are called to make that gift of ourselves. It's written right into us. And there's something I I would add into this piece, is that there's something called the law of the gift, that we're going to find happiness and fulfillment to the degree that we are gifts to each other, and also seeing ourselves as gifts here. And if we look at that, the notion there of the two definitions, one of pornography, and then also the notion of human sexuality as gift, there's something in us, I hope there's a, for our listeners, there's this ache in our heart 
that we, we yearn for and we long for to make that gift of ourselves, that we need to strive with everything that we are and everything that we do to become more of the gift that we, or, or embrace more of the gift that we really are so we can live that out as a gift. Um, and I think it's much more, much more satisfying than simply taking and which none of us really, and none of us want to be used and, and in our heart of hearts, none of us wants to use another human being. Yeah, I love the Catholic understanding of human intimacy and how it just flies in the face of a pornographic culture, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to seeing people as gifts, especially in a pornography-influenced uh, culture that influences us to just think of people as things to use and not people to love mm-hmm. um, and to will their good. So I, that's such a great definition and one that covers a lot of what we used to think growing up. I think of pornography as like, oh, yeah, it's a Playboy magazine that something someone mm-hmm. can hide under their bed. And that has evolved in such a radical way now where pornography is, is easily accessible through any device, um, like a phone or a computer. But just like you said, like it's in movies, it's in things that we don't like. It's in our checkout lanes at the grocery store anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it is everywhere and it's in, impacting so many different areas of life. Um, and ultimately, in, in many cases, keeping us locked in ourselves because we, we know in our heart of hearts, if we're honest, as I, I just mentioned, nobody wants to be used and we don't want to use other people. And when we, when we fail to live out our bodies as gifts, we experience uh, we experience guilt and shame, and, and I like to define those terms as, you know, guilt being I am I have done a bad thing, and shame is I am a bad person. We feel these deeply to our very bones, and it's because it's it's a it's the anti I like to say the um, the, the homing beacon, right? We're we're called to be gift, and when we when we live out this way, we find joy which radiates back to the Creator. But when we fail to do that, the anti-homing beacon comes in, whereas we feel the, the lack thereof. We feel that guilt and shame, but it's even in that guilt and shame, and here's the beautiful providence of our Heavenly Father, that even in that, He calls out to our shame, He calls out through our guilt, come home. So Steve, you've recently written a book, Redeemed Vision, which I've had the honor of reading through, and it's about the fight against pornography. But this isn't just another book on pornography. It's about your story from a life of shame and that guilt and an addiction to pornography to discovering the joy of a redeemed vision. So can you share with our audience the role that pornography has played in your story and then how your life has been redeemed? Sure. And, and the one thing I would, uh, just to clarify here for our listeners, we we use the term, uh, the term is thrown around a lot in many corners that pornography, it, you can get addicted to pornography. And I think the more careful definition we want to use for that is that of compulsion mm-hmm. and meaning, and there's some, some evidence, uh, Dr. Greg Popchak, uh, I was alerted to this by some of the, the research he was doing, and that addiction has this notion that once hooked, always hooked. And compulsion is the notion that, you know, yes, there's an attachment, there's a serious issue, but we can be set free. And, and if I can elucidate very briefly, you know, I do encourage our readers to, to pick up a copy of Redeemed Vision to read from themselves. But basically, I came from a, a, a broken family situation. My father was out of the picture by the time I was five. He had been living in a nursing home all the way until um, he passed away when I was 17. He passed away from cancer. And growing up without a father, as many can attest to, whether they have a physical absence of their father or, or just kind of a checked out father not really being involved in their lives, it does a, a huge deal of damage to just a sense, a sense of self-worth, of identity, of the value of a person. And I know this very intimately. So growing up, I, I hated myself and I had, a, I had a great dislike for myself. I even I even had many thoughts of suicide and I thought my life is just not worth it. And, and in this ache here, a long time when I was in in seventh grade, when I was 12 years old, 
And I'd seen other pornographic images before this, but it was really then I was exposed to video pornography before the internet hit. And I was, you know, attracted there. There's something attractive in there. There's something beautiful there because there's people there in that. But the way in which they're being portrayed is not. It's, it's ugly. So it's, as much as there was attraction, there was this repelling and this ugliness kind of got attached to my soul. If any of the uh, the listeners have ever seen Spider-Man, the movie, one of Spider-Man's villains is Venom. There's a Venom movie coming out, right? It's like what happens in the exterior there with Venom taking over Eddie Brock's body. This is what happened inside of me. Mm-hmm. This ugliness was coming inside of me and I couldn't get rid of it. So pretty soon here, because the compulsive nature of pornography, because of the chemicals that were stri- being stripped in my brain, and again, I knew none of this language at the time, I quickly formed an attachment to this. And I, I grew up Catholic and I, you know, I feel tempted to look at pornography, masturbate, feel guilty, go to confession. I knew it was a sin, but this stuff is too powerful. And I was just drawn back in this, didn't know what to do with it. Nobody talked to me about this, right? I never had healthy conversations about my body, about changes, developments here, and also the ugliness of pornography. None of that discussion went on in my home. I had to fend for myself and I quickly got attached to this in and through high school, college. I was even going to, to seminary. And I like to describe this like I was like a woman having had an abortion 30 years ago and going to confession week after week, hearing she's forgiven, but I could not forgive myself. And I thought I would be trapped in this forever. I can never be free. This is my cross. I'm going to have to carry the rest of my life. When, when I, I'm working with clients in, in freedom coaching who come to me and I get to work with like some of the most broken people here, I know where they've been. For any of those who are listening to this, any, you know, um, who are struggling with pornography themselves, I know what that's broken is like. I know what that's, that shame, that feeling I'm drowning underwater and I, I don't know what to do or, or being involved in seeing family members being taken down to this. Maybe you're married to a spouse who's dealing with this, right, and, and feeling just hopeless. I know what that hopelessness is like, and it is a horrible, horrible place to be. And I thought this would be the rest of my life. Like, it's, I'm going to merely have to cope and deal with it. God had other plans. Um, and so in the province of God in fall of 2003, led to a place called Franciscan University in Steubenville. Um, some listeners are probably well aware of this place. And they have uh, one weekend of every month that school is out of school is in session. They have festivals of praises, and this is like 2,000 people praising God in music and song, and sometimes people are given a word from Scripture that the Holy Spirit wants everybody to hear. That night was no exception, and so it was Isaiah 43:19, which said, Behold, I'm doing something new. Do you not perceive it? Streams of living water will begin to flow. And so much of my life, I had been drinking from what's called the septic tank, this pornified culture. And I was literally poisoning myself and it poisoned relationships because of it and my identity of who I perceived myself to be. Well, here now, he was starting to give me this fresh water. He was beginning to open my heart and I was giving him a crack of my heart. And if you want to change your life and make life really dangerous and moved around, open your heart to him. And I began doing this. I actually had been going to daily mass. I was receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, moved to gratitude for what he had done for me. Two weeks later, a Wednesday mass, I'm praying after mass, moved to gratitude for what Jesus was doing for me. And then I realized it wasn't just Jesus, it was the Father. It was the one that I thought had left me and abandoned me, had walked out on me, had walked out on my, my mom and my brother so many years ago, but no, he had never left us that what he wanted me to do was simply crawl up into his lap and be held. And it was enough. And for the first time in my life, I heard a very important phrase. You, Stephen, are my well-beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. And I'm thinking to myself, me? I'm pleasing to you after all that I've done, after all the running I've done? 
And he's saying to me, yes. And all he wants me to do is be still, be held, be loved. And as I'm sitting there and praying there, it happened. Boom, 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 boom. These chains hit the floor. And I experienced for the first time in my life, this, for the longest time, this freedom from this attachment to lust. This desire to want to use my sisters was transformed into a desire to want to serve them. At this point in the story, Chloe, like I was genuinely free. I didn't have a filter on my computer. I didn't you know, have to worry about that. For, and it was about four months worth. Like, literally, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I had nothing. I had no temptation whatsoever. Well, like Peter, who took his eyes off Jesus and sank back in the water, I eventually would sink back hard into that septic tank. And it was God wanted to get my attention. He wanted to get to the root. So a period of three or four years, other things were revealed to me. And to make our conversation shorter, I was led to three things. One called theothotic prayer. We go into deep prayer here, and all the emotions we have are like smoke that leads to a fire. And there was a lot of healing there. Second, I was led to something called intensive trauma therapy. It sounds crazy, but it's, you know, or scary, it's not. It's just drawing and writing pictures. And um, there was a lot of healing. Actually, it was the first time we ever ever processed pornography use. And um, so much of my shame was wiped out. And then um, the other thing we discovered was learning how to see, learning how to see the body, particularly through the church's awesome uh, witness of sacred art. I literally stand before people and I have been doing professional work since 2011 with what's called Freedom Coaching, found at freedom-coaching.net, where I, I've this process has been re- revealed to me to be able to help others. I would much rather be crucified than to lust. Lust is, to, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, lust is a weak, whimpering thing compared to desire set to full flourishing and power. And this is the beauty of what happens when Christ can redeem our life, and he can. I'm merely one of many, many people who this has happened with, and it's, um, it's humbling. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love this part in your story where there was that recognition that God is a father and he hasn't abandoned you. Mm. And just to see through that process of healing, just the Lord redeeming every aspect of your story um, and just bringing that into the light and bringing that into fulfillment. So that's absolutely beautiful. Pornography affects all of our lives today. For some of those who are listening, it may be in a way that's similar to you with that compulsion towards pornography. But whether we struggle with pornography ourselves or not, what are some ways that you've seen, whether it's through your story and your healing, whether it's through freedom coaching, the research that you've done for this book, how has pornography affected men, women, and children? And how has that warped our understanding of what is true and what is good and what is beautiful? Sure. And, and this is a huge part of the topic. And I do encourage people to, to pick up a copy of the book. Chapter two especially goes into it. Mm-hmm. So just keep it very, very brief. Let's, let's break those into three categories, men, women, and children. Obviously, they're all connected. But with men, I like to use the term, um, we're creating porn zombies. If you think of a zombie from like Walking Dead and zombies are very popular, these are guys who literally are dead and all they want to do is consume flesh. They're looking here, they're hungry for it, um, and it doesn't matter if it's somebody related to them or not, all they want to do is feed on this and turn other people into zombies. And there's the same thing that's happening here. What pornography does, and this is one of the most tragic things of pornography, it incapacitates our heart to form bonds of communion with others. As the Catechism says in paragraph 2332 about what human sexuality is about. It's about connecting us with others and able to enter into emotional bonds with others. And so many guys that I work 
with, and I see it all the time, these guys just are emotionally unavailable for other people. Like take the issue of the whole quote unquote Me Too movement. Many of those cases are guys. These are guys who have forgotten their own humanity and have forgotten the humanity of others, and all they want to do is use others. In many cases, this goes to the detriment in their own families, like the number one cause of divorce in many cases. Under, if you peel back that whole notion of quote unquote irreconcilable differences, is this issue of pornography, where wives really feel that this is cheating. And in reality, it is an affair because that man was in marriage in those vows, promised to give all of himself to his wife. Well, if he's thinking about somebody else when they're in the midst of the most intimate act, or even on their other times of life where he's supposed to be involved with the family or driving the kids to soccer practice or all those things, he's just not there. He's checked out. So this is why so many guys just feel emotionally numb. They're not feeling anything or they're just feeling shredded emotionally. This is what's going on here for the guys in a nutshell. And the other, other aspect amongst men is involved with, in so much of our life growing right before pornography, I remember growing up, we were so interested, you know, one day I'm going to be able to get married so I can have sex with my wife. Okay. That's what, you know, growing up there right now, guys are being, especially they've been formed by this, you know, I can just go and have the ease of, of pornography. Um, and why do I have to deal with hard things that go into a relationship? So it literally is emasculating men because a man built into him, there's this tension between being tough and tender. This is what a man is called to be. And if also he's called to enter into a battle, he's called to enter into a challenge of life, first to master himself and then master uh, the different elements around in his life. And part of that is winning the heart of his bride and to keep doing that, especially if he is called to marriage. But if he can't master himself and take possession of his own heart, how is he supposed to win the heart of his bride? In many cases, he can't. We see that impact in marriage. Let's flip over to, to women very briefly, right? I do work in my work with freedom coaching. I work with both men and women. Women have been, obviously, when in, in pornography use, when men are using pornography and, and for, for so long, it has been a male-dominated industry. It is programming a man to view women as an object, right? And so when women get into the scene, they're being viewed that their accept acceptability, their worth, their value is based on sex appeal. And so if they have a certain quote unquote it factor, then they have value. What if they, God forbid, they get older and stop looking like a quote unquote supermodel? Does that mean they are less valuable, have less worth? Well, the answer is no. Their worth is inherent regardless of what they look like. But if a man's been programmed by thinking that supermodel look is what it's supposed to be, then quote unquote ordinary women, and I would have to say no woman, Chloe, is ordinary. You are all extraordinary. We just have to have the eyes to see it. This speaks so heavy and hard to the hearts of women. And they begin to doubt their own worth, their own value, and being thinking that I'm not enough. And that's the lie there. Now, but push it even further. I don't know if you know this, but ton of the producers of pornography is actually women now. A lot of the executive producers, directors, um, they're trying to actually uh, go after a market of women here. And the one, it's been estimates that one third to one half of viewers of visually stimulating pornography are women. Why has this happened? Whereas historically, this has been a quote unquote man's issue. It's based on the notion that if a woman wants to get her uh, fulfillment in life, she has to be like a broken man. And in order to do that, well, then if he's in pornography, 
then I need to be in pornography as well. I need to learn to use people as well. But if we know anything about pornography, pornography, because it's using people, never satisfies, never make us happy. And because of the amount of chemicals that are stirred up, you're creating compulsions for women as well. And because of the nature of woman herself, a woman's nature inherently is internal. It's receptive to receive love. And when she's not receiving genuine love, guess what? This shame goes perhaps even more deeper than men. And especially on this issue that's been considered to be merely a male-dominated and oriented issue, then she is being taught that something's really wrong with her. And the answer is, no, there's nothing really wrong with her, that she's good in herself, but like the men, she's been programmed to be blind. Then let's talk about kids. This is the first or second generation of kids that are growing up having never known that the internet does not exist. Now, I want to be very clear. The, the church teaches technology is a good, and so because the internet is a technology, the tech, internet is a great technology. You and I, Chloe, we connected mm-hmm. via, I think it was Instagram, right? Yep. Um, and using, using internet, it's an awesome thing if we use it appropriately. But because many kids are not being trained to use technology well, what ends up happening here is um, these kids are being programmed by the anti-beautiful images to think that's how the body's supposed to look like. That is the, the way that men and women are supposed to relate to. And it's in everything. It's in some of these, uh, you know, sexualized or eroticized jokes that are in a lot of our entertainment. Um, and many parents just, you know, they're oblivious to being attentive to what their kids are involved with their, their entertainment choices. You have two sides of humanity, boys and girls, training each other how to use one another what ends up happening as a consequence is this idea that friendship becomes impossible. Well, friendship is the foundation of marriage. It's the foundation of, of family life. So we literally are threatening the very fabric of civilization by having this pornified culture. So it's this issue that we've got to sound a, a huge uh, alarm bell. Like I'm on a lot of podcasts talking about this, that there's a huge issue here but also that we can have some substantial answers to this. But if we don't know there's a problem in not recognizing this, how are we going to even want to seek a solution here? When you're looking at this issue as a Catholic, I think it's so beautiful to see the way that the church has responded to this throughout the years. St. Pope John Paul the Great, he is a favorite of ours here on the Catholic Podcast, and he revolutionized the way that Catholics understand sexuality when he gave his Wednesday audiences on the theology of the body, which came out around the same time as Playboy started hitting the magazine stands. So what was so revolutionary about theology of the body, and what role does this play in our rejection of pornography? I think what is most remarkable for theology of the body is that it reveals the very meaning of life. Mm -hmm. We want to know why we're here, but even more so reveals the very meaning of who we are as male and female. Chapter four of my book, Redeemed Vision, Setting the Blind Free from the Pornified Culture, we go heavy and hard into all the different confusions of our world. I like to say there's five undoing of meanings, but basically an undoing of meaning of love, sex, marriage, family, and the body. And if we don't have a healthy understanding and holistic understanding of the body from both a human and an incarnational perspective, And from God's eye perspective, we're not going to be able to know how to interact because it's in and through the body that we interact with the world. So just to quote one thing from Theology of the Body is what's been widely considered the thesis statement of the Theology of the Body, which is for those who are reading along in their books, um, uh, it's audience 19, 
paragraph four, the body, in fact, and it alone is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It has been created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the mystery hidden from eternity in God, and thus be a sign of it. Translation, it is the body that is a profound revelation of the mystery of God. All over the world, people are asking, in many cases, where is God by the way they live their life? Okay, and everything we're doing, we are looking for God. There's a desire here. What, what is that desire? A desire for union, for completion, for love. Well, here is a radical statement saying, it is in and through the body, understood correctly, that we can encounter God. How can we say this? Well, an easy, easy way to put that is, it is um, if you're Catholic, you need to acknowledge the beauty of the body. Why? Because God took on a body, dwelt amongst in that body, died in the body, rose in the body, and in the Trinity right now, there is a person with a body. Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity, still has his body. That's our destiny that we're called to. And it's in light of each other, of male and female, that we take on this great calling, this calling to love in a bodily way. And so here's the deal. Pornography views the body merely as a thing, that the person doesn't really matter, the person really doesn't have value, that the value of the person is assigned to based on how much sex appeal and how much pleasure it can provide. But as, as Father Brian Bransfield said, the meaning and purpose of life is not about consuming as much pleasure quickly, but it's about giving beauty slowly. What we are called to do is make this beautiful gift of self to others in every way that we live. Like I'm a husband and a father. That's one way that I do it. I make a gift of myself to my wife and to my children and then out to the world. Those who are single or those who are celibate for the kingdom, right, are called to make a gift of themselves directly unmitigated out to the world. And pornography itself, if it's merely, again, we've said this earlier, if it's merely about taking, will never satisfy us. And so if we really want to be happy, and this is what I think Theology of the Body makes beautifully clear, if we want to be happy, if we want to be fulfilled, learn how to make a sincere gift of ourselves. There's a stereotype out there that Catholic, you know, Catholics view the body as bad, or Catholics think that sex is bad, or sex is yeah. dirty. And I love how John Paul II's mm -hmm. writing just completely busts open those myths and, and says that, no, the body's so mm -hmm. good and the body's holy. But on top of that, sex is holy. I remember reading mm -hmm. Dr. Popchak, we've mentioned him before already, but his book, Holy Sex, was incredibly formative when it came to my marriage prep mm -hmm. and reclaiming and redeeming all of these lies that we've been told, whether it's by the culture or by a false perception of what we mm -hmm. think Catholicism is, but that the, the body is good and that sex is good. One of the things that John Paul II talks about in the theology of the body is what he calls the original man or what we were like before sin entered the picture. So as humans, you write about this in your book, Redeemed Vision, we discover sex twice. So the first time we discover it is in the Garden of Eden, where as Adam and Eve, they recognize that their femininity and their masculinity is good. And that's in light of what JP2 calls the spousal meeting of the body. And then the fall happens, concupiscence enters the picture, shame and lust are introduced into our understanding of the body. How has that shame changed the way that we interact with each other? We mentioned already that like pornography kind of comes under and ruins the ability to be friends with each other as men and women. But how has Christ redeemed our twisted understanding of sex? So if, again, when we, we use the term sex, especially in our culture, we, we immediately jump to this notion that it's genital intimacy. Whereas sex in truth in that first place is who we are as male or female, right? And right. seeing that goodness, that beauty, that was before the fall. After the fall, it's this notion here that I am not good, 
Okay, it's changed our, our radical reorientation. I am not good, and thus we project this negativity onto the other. That you can't be good either. And then this also twisting here that instead of wanting to be a full gift of self, as you mentioned with concupiscence, the desire to be selfish comes in. And now instead of appreciating the value of the whole person, the whole sex of the person, remember we're talking about male or female with those terms, now I simply want to appropriate there. Now I don't want to appreciate the all value of the person, but simply what I think is valuable and discard everything else. And then once I'm done with that thing, whatever that is, then I'm going to discard that as well. Thank God I'm called to marriage here because I've learned so much about womanhood from my, my wife. You know, I have two master's degrees. Yes, I'm master of the universe. But all of that pales in comparison to the lived experience of living in a household with a woman and learning how to love her rightly, okay? <laughs> um, as I assume, Chloe, your, your husband could say the same about you. So in this whole notion here, having to learn that there's an actual human being here that I need to care for, I need to take care of, I need to love everything about her. We get these, what pornography is doing, right? It's creating a world of fantasy into our brains that this is what sex is supposed to be about, this is how the human body is supposed to be. And this plays into this whole notion here that when we are treating someone as an object, it's, it's, it goes against our very nature. And when we receive that, we begin to feel bad about ourselves begin to think that I'm not valuable, I'm not worthy, that I'm irredeemable. But this is where exactly we want to say it's right at that moment that we are ready to be loved because God came to redeem us. And he came to redeem our body. He came to redeem our sexual desires here so that we can love. And this is the beauty of Christ. That's through his sacrifice, he transforms and, and destroys original sin. And we are able to enter into the power of his death and resurrection by entering into the life of the church, first through baptism, then having those gifts matured through confirmation, and entering into what we call eternal marital banquet, that of the Eucharist. That the Eucharist itself is a foreshadowing and a participation in heaven now. And that what happens between husband and wife in their giving and receiving in that most intimate act in the marriage bed is a little glimmer of what happens at Mass and what happens in heaven. And most people don't think of it this way. And this is where the beautiful power of the redeeming nature of the sacraments comes in. For those of us who are Catholic, in many cases, we don't appreciate this to its full grandeur. And to those who are not Catholic, they've never, in many cases, been told this. They've never experienced this. So first and foremost, our goal here must be recognizing our woundedness recognizing our hurts, recognizing our pains, and then not settling with them, not getting comfortable with them, not denying them, but instead opening those wounds up to the healer, opening those wounds up to the bridegroom who wants to woo us and bring us home. And so even in our brokenness, we can be made whole. And that's the promise, especially that he says in Revelation 21, right? Behold, I make all things New. I love how that's reflected even in the Eucharistic prayer and in the words mm -hmm. of consecration where this is my body and it's given for you. Again, mm -hmm. it's just this redemption of the body is good because Christ comes and takes on a body. That's the reason that we see the incarnation as such a beautiful turning point in salvation history, but also that it's a gift. He's, he's giving this to us. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he's there's such mm -hmm. redemption there. When it comes to confronting lust or to tackling compulsions towards pornography, <clears throat> masturbation, we have a list of resources and coping mechanisms to turn to. And that's not saying that things like 
sacraments or accountability partners can't help because they can and there's a lot of grace there especially in the sacraments but in your book redeeming vision you call for a change in tactics and strategy to combating pornography so what is your suggestion for overcoming compulsion and how can we transform those desires just to make sure everybody's on the same page here uh, coping mechanisms when we talk about that is this notion that i can only be free to a certain extent Okay, and I have to do all of these things. So I got to pray the rosary. I got to go to confession. Just don't look at pornography, you know, uh, get a get a filter on your computer, spiritual director or accountability partner. And, and to be very clear, all those things are can be good in themselves. But what they don't do is they don't solve the problem. The problem, Chloe, is that it's a matter of the heart and a matter of, of our vision. What about a matter of our heart? We are looking for something. We're yearning for something. It's been said there's four deepest desires of the human heart. We want to see and be seen. We want to love and be loved. This deep desire to want to be loved for who we are, for our own sake, this own value. If we're simply doing things, it's like a Catholic that is going to Mass week after week, but not getting the message and allowing Christ to love them. This is the same thing that must happen here. We must allow Christ into our lives, into all of the aspects of our life. Like, I love sharing the story of St. Teresa of Avila, who she's praying one day, and Jesus says, why have you not given me everything? And she's stunned and says, Lord, I've given you everything. I'm a consecrated nun. He says, no, you have not given me your pains, your hurts, your disappointments, you what you consider to be failures. And the same question is being asked to us. What are the things that we are not letting Christ into. Because there's a deep fear, especially when you've got people who have been not living out their bodies and sexuality as a gift, but instead have been appropriating it and narrowing our gaze here on this issue of pornography use, there's this fear that they are not lovable. And especially because they've eaten that quote-unquote forbidden fruit, and thus the shame can never be wiped out. And that's the lie, again, as we just discussed, that Christ wants to enter in, that's the perfect time to be loved. But then the other thing that must happen here, most people who are talking about this issue of pornography are not addressing this key feature. And the fact that pornography makes us blind. It keeps us from seeing the body correctly in a way that will truly satisfy. This is one of the stories I tell in my, my book, Chapter 9, and it's a true story of a boy, nine years old at the time, went to a park with his family. He comes across a quote-unquote gentleman's ab and it's a picture of two naked women on this picture he immediately goes to his older sister says i found this yucky picture older sister says go tell your older brother he does the older brother says okay show me where you found it he, he, he does that and the older brother takes it and immediately rips it up so key questions here number one how did the younger brother immediately go to the older sister and say it was a yucky picture and second how did the older brother immediately go and throw it away because chloe do you know what most guys would do if they found that image? Put it in the back pocket. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is buried treasure. Right. I just won the lottery, Chloe. Why? Because their lived experience and their only thing they've been programmed on the, what the human body looks like, what a naked woman looks like, has been programmed by pornography. And if that's the only reference points we have in, in the way in which various things have been, and they're also parents have never allowed them to see the human body as it's meant to be seen appropriately, then all we have as a reference point here is pornography. And so when those feelings get eroticized, oh my gosh, I want to go for that. Now, and because, but because we know we're made for truth, we're made for goodness, we're made for real beauty, we know something's wrong about this. But because there hasn't been an open atmosphere and healthy conversation about the body, a uh, healthy conversation about you know, desires as we're growing up, 
we may want to stuff this and hide it. And this is where those roots can come in. The good news is, and this is why I want to say about this element, that when we can learn how to see the body as God has created us to see, and to be able to see the body appropriately unveiled as God has created us to see it, then when we are confronted with pornified images, again, remember, this is not just what's called hardcore pornography, but in so many elements of our payment, pornography loses its power. So the goal here. And this, is, this may sound shocking to some of our listeners, but it's important. The goal here is not about fighting pornography. We don't need to fight against pornography. We need to become inoculated to pornography so that when pornified images are presented to us, whether what we're seeing on the line or when we go to the supermarket or when we see a person in real life trying to evoke lust, we can see right through it, see it for the truth it is, and we're not moved to lust, but we're moved to a very different reaction. There's actually a sadness here of longing do you know that do you know that your value as a human being is not being appreciated too much but it's too little and you're meant to be seen as more and then in that we are able to see have a greater desire to and be drawn to what is true beauty here and pornography literally loses its power and it's a beautiful thing what role does sacred art play in a healthy understanding of the body as good Okay, so that's a podcast all to own mm-hmm. on its own. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> I do refer people to Redeemed Vision, but uh, the last last third of the book. But let's be very clear. Like a lot of the classical artists, especially Christian artists, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Raphael, all were trying to capture the truth of the human body. No, and I'm not talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles here, right? <laughs> all these all these great Christian artists trying to capture the truth about the human body because they knew intrinsically that the body reveals God. They had this, this built into them, and they were basing it on the principle of the incarnation. So as we're saying here, one of the great things we're able to do, what we as Catholics have over pretty much everybody in the world right now, is we have a, a huge amount of artwork that is trying to unveil the truth about the human person. So take those images, for instance, that are in the Sistine Chapel, right? In no way are those images pornographic. Take the images of Maria Lactanes, where Mary is breastfeeding Jesus, whereas in our culture, a woman's breasts are viewed as mere ornamental, as a plaything, as something that's supposed to evoke a man's lust. That's not the truth, though, of a woman's body, nor of her breasts or any other body parts. That a woman's breasts, for instance, speak the language of her, her ability to give life, to nurture life there. And so by entering into contemplation, by using such images where the body is exposed appropriately, what ends up happening here is it begins to form what are called new neural pathways in the brain. Okay, We haven't talked too much about the brain science here on the podcast. In a, in a very brief manner, when we are viewing things, how we're being trained by things, neural pathways get formed. And if we've been formed inappropriately, then when we get into certain Uh, emotional situations that we've been originally programmed by images, we're going to have the same kind of emotional reaction. The good news is when we're formed by the truth, beauty, and goodness of the body of which sacred art and even healthy secular pieces of art, right? On the cover of my book is an image of the sacred and the profane by Titian. It's not a a specifically Christian piece of art, but it does elucidate and reveal the truth about the human body, when we're formed in this and we spend time with this and we soak in this, the desire for pornography gets wiped out here. We're able to eliminate that and begin to transform our heart. So if an image 
I know, a pornified image gets proposed to us. We don't, we don't ever seek it out, but it's proposed to us in the world we live in. This is found in so many places. Then we're able to transform that desire in about three seconds by pulling out images of sacred art, pull an image of Maria Lactines, using it for prayer and contemplation. And it connects Chloe to the fact that we can have an actual relationship. It's not just, you know, somebody we see on TV that we might not know. We can have a, a relationship with those people in those images, in with Jesus, with Mary, being able to see the body, enter into relationship there, ask them, change my heart, show me how to see so that I can love. And guess what? they will give that grace. Jesus gives us that grace. And it's a beautiful thing. For listeners who are encountering just this idea of the sacred, being able to redeem our vision, what are some practical takeaways, some practical steps that they can use to combat pornography Mm -hmm. in in their own lives, whether that's something that they're personally struggling with, or they know friends or family who are struggling with it, or if they're parents, what are ways that they can take this message from today's podcast and put it into conversation Mm -hmm. with their little kids? Ton to unpack here, keep it very brief uh, for, for the sake of time. But like first, I point them to chapter 12 of my book where we go very in-depth to practical ways of families. Number one, you know, if we're talking just on the vision piece, get sacred art in your home. Yeah. Get the, expose them to genuine beauty. In many places in our, our, in our schools, middle schools and high schools, in, in some places, they're actually removing the fine arts program for budgetary costs. And so our kids instead are being formed by mere technology. Again, remember, technology is a good, but it's mere about entertainment and it's becoming very passive. What we need is for children to enter and to become active participants. To just like at mass, we're active participants entering in. There's an education that, that's supposed to be happening there. Same thing about art. Educate them all the forms of the art. Get them exposed there. Drawing, writing of going to the orchestra right of being able to create with create with clay uh, different forms that go there right then and, and even if they don't have really they're they're pretty good at stick figures right they still need to learn how to become you know <laughs> that's this guy right here not my uh, not my youngest daughter who has a crazy gift for art this is something which we want to we want to enter into i would say also right we as parents have a duty right if technology is a good to use technology appropriately. A lot of us, you know, we're busy in life. We're, you know, my wife and I, we both work. Um, we have to be very careful in the fact that we're not just plopping them down in front of the TV. We're not just giving them a cell phone. These things are good in themselves, but they can be used very inappropriately. And if we aren't being aware and we aren't training train our kids how to use it appropriately, I promise you there are people who are formed in the pornified vision that are trying to thrust this on your children. So it's not about living in fear, but it is about being aware and being proactive with what, what we do in that. And, and the other thing that we've got to do, you know, as they age appropriately, there does need to be an, a discussion about pornography. We do need to get explicit about this in, in the sense of intentionally talk about this. We don't explicitly show pornography to our kids, but we're intentional or explicit about talking about this. So I like to use the example from Matt Fred, who writes and speaks on this issue as well. Um, and he used the story of his, I think it was at the time, his seven-year-old son asked, Dad, what's pornography? As he was driving. And he thought about it just for a second and, and how to explain it to his son. And he said, okay, if you see a, if, if you saw a picture of your sister and she's smiling and laughing that picture, how would it make you feel? And he said, feel pretty good. Well, what if you saw in a picture of your, your sister and somebody was hurting her? How would it make you feel? And he said, sad. Well, that second picture, that's pornography. That's what it does. It steals our joy. It keeps us from really seeing the fullness of the person. And ultimately, it's hurting the person. So obviously, there's going to be more and more discussion. And we can build upon that foundation. But I think it's a great way to elicit the difference between good images 
and bad images. And, and ultimately, when we're, when we're programmed by healthy images of the body, then the better off we're going to be. The other thing is, last, last point I'd, I'd raise here just for the moment, we've got to really question the way in which we view our own bodies. How do you treat your own way, how you carry out your own body in your own house? Uh, those times which maybe when we're getting out of the shower or when we're going to the bathroom. If somebody walks in, what is our reaction? Do we freak out and like, get out? Or, we, or do we just let it be as, you know, this is kind of, this is a normalized thing here. Not, we're not showing off. We're simply being who we are. And, it's, and this is a challenge to a lot of people because our view of the body, the view of nakedness, has been one of shame and, shame and, and guilt and regret because that's the only way we've been raised here. But if the body truly is good, then in all of our reaction, regardless of how much clothing is, is being worn in our homes especially, appropriately lived, we have to relate to our children appropriately so in that way. So instead of experiencing having this big environment of suspicion and fear, no, the body is just normal. And if we feel uncomfortability in our heart, then we've got to go to God and say, God, I need you to change my heart. I need you to change my vision so that I can communicate this well to my kids. If listeners are wanting to dig deeper and wanting to dig into Redeem Vision, where can they find that book? Where can they find out more information about freedom coaching? And where, if they're interested in bringing you to their parish or to their group to speak even more on this and in depth, where can they find out information about those ministries? Sure. So first and foremost, I invite, uh, invite listeners to head over to freedom-coaching.net. Um, there they can learn more about the book. Redeemed Vision, Setting the Blind Free from the Pornified Culture. Um, they also have a blog on there that I write not as frequently as I'd like. Um, if you go to Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, I'm on there. as re- My handle is some form of Redeemed Vision. You'll find it there. And for those who are um, you know, interested in bringing me in to speak to your parish or, or various groups, men's, co- uh, men's conferences, for families, um, for parents, if you'll head to vlpromotions.com, um, you can learn more about that um, and, and to be able to bring me in. And on my, a section on my website actually has a portion of some, some of our speaking, my speaking clips, other um, podcasts that I've done with other, um, other podcasters. So that's, that's a little bit about how to do that. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Steve. We'll put all of the resources that we've mentioned throughout this podcast, and especially towards the end in our show notes, where you can find them online at cathpod.com. But thanks, thanks, Steve, for your time. Thanks for sharing your story and for sharing this, this beautiful uh, idea of being able to redeem our vision. Amen. Thank you, Chloe, and an honor and a blessing to all your, um, to all your listeners. So let's close this episode out in a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. The Catholic Podcast is an initiative of the Holy Family School of Faith Institute. To find out more, or to see how you can contribute to our mission, check out www.schooloffaith.com.